It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Welcome to Sunday Civics. I'm L. Joy Williams, your host, your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist. And joining us at the front of the class is Brad Jenkins. He is a storyteller, producer, strategist. He is the CEO and founder of Enfranchisement. I love the title of this. We're going to have to talk about that in our discussion. And is currently the president and CEO of AAPI Victory Fund, which is a super PAC that's focused on mobilizing Asian American and Pacific Islander eligible voters and moving them to the ballot box. He did a you know little stint in the White House under President Obama, and over his career thus far, he has produced over 70 social impact campaigns, documentaries, specials, events, worked with a number of different companies and organizations. Uh, you know, it's a name that you may not know, but some of the funniest things that you've seen <laughs> as it pertains to social impact work, this person has been involved in. So welcome to the front of the show, Brad Jenkins. Hey there. Hey y'all, Al Joy. Can you intro me for everything? That was like the coolest. <laughs> that was the coolest. I am available. I will send you my rate <laughs> and my writer. I want to bed and have that just played before everything that I everything that I, I do. just you know I, I work for gummy bears as well <laughs> so you know if it's in town no thank you so very much for making time to speak with us here at Sunday Civics and because it's your first time on the show hopefully not your last I want to start where we ask every guest by you telling us the story of your first civic action first off I love this show I love the idea of Sunday Civics um, and actually my story of my first civic action action came right from school. So this is perfect. This is perfect for the, for the show. So I grew up in New Jersey, in Trenton, New Jersey. My mom's Korean-American immigrant. My dad's African-American, grew up in the segregated uh, South. And uh, my parents were very, I would say, skeptical of politics in general. Um, and by the way, like they don't, I don't blame them. We were living in Trenton and that was like the hotbed of corruption in New Jersey. So uh, I don't blame them. But um, growing up, whenever politics came up, my parents essentially said, oh, those are all just corrupt people. Don't bother with that. My mom also had a very immigrant background or immigrant perspective, I should say, which is to say, just, just be grateful that you're living in the United States and do not question uh, the system. Just get along with the system. Just assimilate to the system. And so it wasn't until high school, um, I had a class, it was called Gallery in New Jersey. It was called, uh, the acronym was Government and Law Related Experiences. And I took the class because, literally I took the class because I had a crush on a girl and I knew that she was gonna take, <laughs> she was gonna take the class. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do Gallery. This is gonna be great. I'm gonna get to know this girl. And it changed my life. It was a very, it was um, the whole point of the class was that it forced you to understand how local politics worked. And in fact, we had to go 
to city council meetings. We had to go to school board meetings. We had to meet congressmen. So like, you know, New Jersey elected officials from the state house and from, uh, from Congress would come and speak to our class. And it just fundamentally changed the way I thought about how our government works and ultimately that the government works for the people. But the biggest thing, Joy, going to these meetings, there was no one there. Like we'd go to these school board meetings and there was maybe like five people in the audience, right? And think about that. These board members, school board members, they are making decisions for tens of thousands of students, right? Student Like decisions whether they should close schools or funding or curriculum. And there would be a moment of each of these board meetings where they would open it up and like people can come up and address the board and there's no one there. And it, it changed the way I thought about citizenship. It changed the way I thought about power. Um, and I took that class and I realized that the voice of the people, at least where I was living in New Jersey, was not being represented. And it didn't take much. That was the big thing. You know, my big civic action, I learned that just showing up, just going to a school board meeting or city council meeting is a form of power. It's a form of, of a civic action. And so doing that, you know, that was, I was, you know, way back when, this was a senior in high school, back in the 90s, I graduated in 1999, so shows you how old I am. Um, it wasn't until I would say about, I guess, eight or so years later that this guy, Barack Obama, was running for was running for president. And I remembered those school board meetings, you know, and I remembered that, you know, the, the big thing about Obama, we forget now because he's not I guess he's not cool anymore to the youth to the youth, <laughs> to young people. I've been in DC for a long time. <laughs> I've been in DC for a long time. So like when I moved to DC, it was for working for Obama and he was like, cool, right? But when he ran, especially when he announced that he was running, I felt like he was talking to me, like directly to me. He was saying essentially, I can't do this. Like I'm not gonna win unless you, Brad Jenkins, get up off your ass, excuse my language, uh, and help. And I just started volunteering. It was the first uh, campaign I ever volunteered on. It was the first like political thing I was ever involved in. But I don't think that, I don't think that I would have felt like me volunteering would have had any impact if not for that class in high school. If, if I did not see the way that power worked locally, I would think, ah, like, what's, what am I going to do? I'm just a volunteer. Like, am I really going to make a difference? And I really believe that I could make a difference. And I ended up being essentially like the volunteer organizer uh, for Obama in the Bay Area. I was living in California at the time. Um, and then my whole life changed. My whole life changed because I believe. My whole life changed because I believe that my voice mattered and it could make an impact. And I think that what what is sad i think about our politics is you know a lot of times especially young people i hear them talk about well all politicians are corrupt kind of like the way my parents talked about it. well all po politicians are corrupt or they don't really believe in the people 
And I keep reminding them that we are the people, right? Like if the politicians are corrupt, that's on us. That's on us to not find better candidates, recruit better candidates, run for office ourselves, right? Our democracy is just a reflection of the people. And when we talk about Donald Trump, we talk about people that have been in office who are awful humans. We have to take, as a country, we have to look in the mirror, right? They are a reflection of who we are. And a lot of it is apathy. You know, a lot of times really awful people seize power because we're not engaged, but we just need to hold ourselves. And a lot of my work, you know, my work, Eljoy, like a lot of my work is the name of my company is enfranchisement, right? A lot of my work is reminding all of us that we have power. Every single one of us have power and the system, right? You can call it a lot of things, right? Whether it's like the corporatization of our democracy or white supremacy, all these things want you to believe that you don't, right? If you, if you feel like you don't have power, then we have people in Congress for 40 years who are all corrupt, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, and I still think about, sadly, not sadly, um, because uh, Doug Martin retired recently and he had such an incredible career, but I'm not the only one. Like he had this class and there have been numerous elected officials, numerous incredible people in New Jersey who all took his class. And again, they're not all doing like political things, but I think that they're all, they all got a, a lesson in power which is something that I hope, again, this is what your podcast is all about. Um, uh, I hope that most, again, young people realize that they actually do have it. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, it is the reason why I started the show, because in the years of organizing and you talking about like graduating high school in 99, I was I was in college dropping it like it's hot in 99 um, <laughs> for the 99 in the 2000. Um, so, but I found that a lot of it was convincing people that yeah. they had the power to make a change in something. And quite often when we hear the conversation about civics, about people understanding the process, about not only politics and campaign, but also governance, yeah, it goes to, you know, automatically goes to school. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What about all these grown people, <laughs> you know, sure. who need that reminder on a regular basis? Here is, you know, here's how this process is supposed to work. Here is how it's working now. Here is how you can influence it. Here's how you can use your power uh, in this particular instance. And so that's the whole impetus of the show is really to do that for grown folks because, you know, they're not going back to school. I'm going back to high school to take that class, but they have the power to engage now. I'm I'm actually going to share that point you were talking about being a volunteer with President Obama. Yesterday, I was guest lecturing at a college and afterwards I had the students coming up talking about what they were doing now, volunteering on campaigns and you know, one young guy said, uh, thank you for validating that my first campaign experience was me volunteering. He was like, I don't feel so bad that I'm volunteering on a little local campaign right now. And I was like, no, don't feel bad no. about that at all. No. You know, that's how you get started. No, I mean, I think that that's the other thing. There is a barrier to entry, right? Like, I think people do feel like 
you know, I don't know, maybe it's a new, newer generation, but it feels like kind of corny to volunteer. Or if you're not like a paid staffer, it's like beneath something. But mm-hmm. again, I, I think for me, it felt like a badge of honor. Like I, and yeah. I still feel this way. Like I have, I, I hold volunteers to a higher standard than staffers, right? Because volunteers aren't getting paid. Volunteers are doing it because they, one, because they understand what's at stake for their community and they're taking time out of their day. And at the end of the day, I mean, you know this more, more than anyone, at the end of the day, time is our most precious thing for people, for people, especially working people, right? And a lot of the volunteers that we were working with were working people. Their time is so precious, you know? And yeah, you're, that student should feel like you should, it should be like a badge of honor. Like I volunteered. (laughs) (laughs) You should not feel bad about that, you know? Yeah, no, it is actually a validating experience. And, you know, something I try to remind people, even me heading up, you know, I'm president of the NAACP, which by the way, I have to remind people all the time, we do not get paid presidents of NAACP. (laughs) People always wanting us to do trash. And I'm like, ma'ams and sirs and days. We we do not have a check. We are volunteering. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Sunday Civics. All the problems, all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world. Like when the teacher, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm L. Joy Williams, your host, your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist. And joining us at the front of the class is Brad Jenkins. So I want to switch gears really quickly because I want to talk about a PI Victory Fund and the work that you all are doing in previous iterations. We've gotten into some good trouble in different iterations together as an organization. Talk a bit about, we we did a whole show on what super PACs are, how to start one, you know, are they good, bad, you know, all of that standpoint. Talk about the work that API Victory Fund specifically does and why it's so good at it. Yeah, well, thank you. I would have loved to join that, by the way, whether super <laughs> or bad. It's funny when I, when I took over, cause I just took over very recently. Right. Um, you know, I had a very, you know, I had a very, I don't even know what the right word is. It's not that I had a negative view of, of super PACs, but I've always had a perception of them as not being helpful. Right. And the reality is once I moved to this town and I understood the way that Washington worked and I understood how elections are won and most importantly, how I understood how investments in communities are made. Right. That's the big piece. Like the reason why the Victory Fund was created six years ago, it's the first super PAC for Asian Americans was Norm Mineta, who's a legend, um, legend on the hill. Um, He saw all of this money that was being raised and being spent on other communities. Right. I mean, by the way, there's already so much money. You know, look, if we could overnight change the way um, our elections are run. I would do it. I would sign up. I'd be like, let's do it. Let's get money out of politics. You know, let's just have a free and fair elections. Everyone has equal amount of money and let's go. But the reality is that's not the way elections are, are, are won, right? And that's not the way that they're run. And so if we want 
proper representation. If we want, you know, if we want to give that young person a semblance of a vision of being able to run and win, we have to play by the rules that are written right now. And the rules that are written right now are if there is not a real investment in a community to vote, that community will not vote. I mean, it's it sounds like simple math, but it's true, right? Um, and Asian Americans, like we've seen cycle after cycle, until this past election cycle, we voted the least of all communities, right? We vote less than the AFAM community, the Latinx community, white community. Um, there are 23 million Asian American Pacific Islanders in some states, in some counties, we are 11, 15, 20% of the vote, but we didn't vote as much. And that's a problem. That's a fundamental problem. And the major reason why we weren't voting is because campaigns were not investing in actually reaching our community, right? And by that, I don't mean just like specific candidates. I mean like the Democratic Party, right? I mean like the Republican Party. I mean like both parties were completely overlooking 23 million Americans, right? And there are a lot of reasons why, right? Um, and, and by the way, I... I have a lot of friends who run these institutions and organizations, right? <laughs> like so, so I don't want to I don't want to throw shade at them or 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 say that they're doing their job wrong. They would admit it. My friends at the DNC or my friends who run super PACs that have tens of millions of dollars would admit to it. They would admit. Yeah, it. I mean, we could we could walk through that shady forest, exactly. and, like, and, and just be, be like, very oh. op very open and upfront. And we've talked about this for what the structure of parties are and what they are supposed like what they yeah. are focused on doing, right? Yeah. And this is the reason why I think adding good or bad labels to something, you know, yeah. depends on how it how it's being used. One hundred percent. And so, the Victory Fund you know, for the past six years or close to seven years has been the only super PAC doing this. They've been the only super PAC investing in data, right? Because the, the biggest challenge with our community is that we are the, again, speaking of not to compare ourselves to other communities, but we are the least uh, researched. Uh, we are the least polled. Uh, and especially when it comes to the voter file, the voter file for our community is a disaster. It's just awful, right? Like, if you look at there, there may be some people that are coded as Asian American, but the people that are coded as Asian American in the voter file, less than 10% of those people have a country of origin, right? Mm -hmm. So how does that help a campaign or how does that help someone who's knocking doors that says Asian American? You don't, there are literally like dozens of different countries <laughs> Right. It could be Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Indonesian, Indian. Right. Like we're not we can't just say Asian American and then know how to then to reach that community. Um, our communities are very different. Our communities vote very differently. And so if not for the Victory Fund, our data would be a disaster. Um, we're going to be investing even more in data this cycle. But. Honestly, the work that we do is not dissimilar from what I was saying before. The work that we are doing very successfully, because last cycle, Asian Americans voted. They had a surge. Uh, we had the biggest surge of any community in history. 
So we had in some battleground states, we had a 46 to 52% voter surge. Again, that's coming from a place where we are not voting at very high rates. So we are now sort of commensurate or equal to other communities. But that didn't come out of thin air. That didn't just magically happen. That came from the Victory Fund and other organizations actually investing in our community. So, so this- Brad, I want to I want to take a step back uh, a second because you talk about investing in in data, and I want people to understand what that means, particularly given the climate that we're in. Imagine yourself, you know, your phone your email address. On your phone, you're probably getting text messages from candidates, from campaigns. On Facebook, you're seeing ads. You know, talk a bit about what doubling down on data means to someone who is receiving, on the receiving end of that, but then also how it is helpful into actually producing change. Yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest piece is, and this is something that not just for the Victory Fund, but this is any good campaign, right? You're not going to be able to really know how to turn out a voter, which is to say, you're not going to know what are the messages, what are the tactics, how are we going to get to a voter, what are going to be the key things that are going to motivate them to vote without knowing who you're actually trying to get to vote, right? So if I'm a candidate and and I understand that I'm running in Gwinnett County and in Gwinnett County, 20% of that county is Indian American. It's a very large percentage, right? Um, I'm going to develop a plan. I'm going to develop a plan in targeting, reaching, um, mobilizing that community. I'm going to hire a voter, a voter director or a precinct captain who understands that community and understands where that community lives, where they pray, where they socialize, who they are, right? And the reality is you can't just, I think in the grand scheme of things, I think we think that political organizing is like TV ads or, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I think that we think it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Just like spend all this money on a 30 second TV ad. No, that's not, that is not how, you, especially for a community like ours that does not have as much of a history of voting, you have to spend time with a community. That candidate has to be able to understand, listen, know the community. And if, again, if you don't know who the community are and where they, where they live, what they believe in, you're not going to win. Right. So for us, you know, on the victory fund side, a big challenge is this is a national, you know, uh, endeavor, but we can't, we just don't have the resources. We just don't. Right. So we can't in an ideal world, I would love to have $80 million (laughs) and reach every Asian American across the country. We have to be a lot more targeted. And the way that we're targeting our investment is how do we win elections? Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the other piece of this too, and I'm sure Sunday civics covers this, but, you know, I think that it's great that there are a lot of organizations that are nonpartisan, right? I think they're, that's so important. I think there's so many important uh, foundational things that we need to do, ladders of engagement, right, of this is why voting matters, these, you know, trying to explain or educate folks. But you know this better than anyone, Eljoy, like, you know, not to sound alarmist, but our democracy is at stake 
in my opinion, in this election, especially secretaries of state elections, um, we saw, and it's very normalized now, but we literally saw, there's no other way to put it, a like corporate fascist idiot take over an entire political party. And we saw him and all of these people lining up behind him try to circumvent the will of the people, right? I mean, all of this is being revealed. They literally tried to steal an election. And the reality is they're going to do it again. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, it, you know. They haven't given up. They have not, they, like, you know, no. they didn't just like, oh, no. oh, well, I guess we'll, <laughs> I guess that's that. <laughs> you know, they were trying before yeah. and they will continue to try. <laughs> And by the way, I think that they learned, right? Like they tried it, but they tried it and they figured out like what worked and what didn't work. They are 100% going to try it again. And the first step in them doing that is electing as many secretaries of state as possible. Um, they are the elected officials who are responsible for counting the votes, right? Administering the election uh, process. And there are in my opinion, way too many Republican secretaries of state already, right? And there are very key elections, especially in a state like Georgia, in a state like Arkansas. You know, there are many key states where it's almost without a question, Eljoy. And I know I sound like, you know, one of these people, but I was yelling about this last cycle. I said, I even went on, I think I went on like a Al Jazeera or something. And I was, the, the day before the election, I kept saying, Donald Trump is not going to accept these election results. Let's just be clear. He's not going to do it. And it will be up to the people. It will be up to our democracy. Like, how strong is our democracy? Can we withstand this ideologue and this idiot, right? Can we withstand him trying to steal the election? It's going to happen again, right? And, and the way that they're doing it is very mischievous and very strategic when they're saying Democrats weirdly are the ones trying to steal elections right or yeah ones yeah like, it's, it's always a deflection it's always a deflection it's always they they are casting this uh, again uncertainty of election results so that they can do exactly what they're trying to do and so for me it's you know i stay up at night thinking about this and i stay up at night thinking about these elections right these senate elections so very important, these congressional elections, these secretary of state elections. And for the Asian American community, we are that margin of victory. There are so many, because of the way our congressional districts are gerrymandered, because of the way our country just is, all of these races are going to come down to two or three points, right? Like Stacey Abrams, it does not matter how amazing her campaign, and her campaign is amazing, it's going to come down to two or three points. And in my opinion, I think... Again, this is a community Asian Americans voted two to one for Joe Biden, right? Like this is a community that's very democratic, very progressive. People don't realize it. And, you know, at the end of the day, if Asian Americans don't turn out, that's on us. Speaking of accountability, yeah. you know, I think that there has been a lot of, look, there always has been this like, woe is me, right? Why aren't Asian Americans more centered? Why, why is there not more investment in our community? X, you know, X, Y, or Z. I have taken over the Victory Fund with a very different mindset, which is, this is on us. We can't ask anyone else to invest in us. We have to invest in our community. We have to invest in our votes, right? And so, 
again, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take a lot of money, but I think it's more than money. It's going to take people. It's people power. And, yeah. you know, and at the end of the day, the, 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 the first thing that I did when I started at the Victory Fund was I linked arms with Collective Pack and I linked arms with the Latino Victory Fund. Um, because in a lot of these states and counties that we're organizing in, like Maricopa County in Arizona, Clark County in Nevada, Gwinnett County in Georgia, these are, com these are communities where we're all there. Asians, Blacks, Latinos, we're all in these communities together. And so we have to work together, right? And I'm so excited. Collective Pack and Latino Victory, first time ever. There's never been this like tri-caucus <laughs> pack agreement. We're going to raise money together. We're going to invest in data together. We're going to share resources in these key counties. Because um, again, that's the only way that we win. And the other cool thing is that, you know, look, Collective Pack and Latino Victory feel the same way that I do, right? Yeah. Which is we're not waiting for the DNC to invest in our community. We, we've seen that. <laughs> we've seen how right. that goes, you know? We're not waiting for them to invest in our candidates, right? When you talk about- And we have a lot more power now that we can actually do that. Because I remember trying to, yes. you know, go to the meetings and, you know, beg DNC to invest, you know, earlier than in October into certain communities. And now, you know, people see the benefit of that and the long-term strategy of that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Sunday Civics. How can it be? Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm Eljoy Williams, your host, your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist. And joining us at the front of the class is Brad Jenkins. I want to yep. go back to something you were talking about. You mentioned it briefly about as you dig into data, whether that's voter registration or turnout data, that sometimes the data in terms of being able to identify someone or communities that are Asian American Pacific Islander can be difficult yeah. because, and so I wanted you to take a moment to talk a bit about the nuances and hurdles that the organization may have to look at a bit differently. I get this question all the time when talking about how, you know, through higher heights, we try to engage more black women running Yeah, is what are the different, you know, hurdles one might think of, you know, when trying to organize within that community from a political standpoint? It's, you know, I just saw not to not to name drop our endorsed candidates, but I saw Sonia Chang Diaz, who's running for governor in Massachusetts. And she's like me. We, we joke that she's got a better, much better multiracial name than me, Sonia Chang Diaz. Like, <laughs> um, I, my name is Brad Jenkins, and it's like the least... Asian name of all time. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. Cause I can, can I tell you just when they told me your name, I was like, they ain't no, ain't no Brad Jenkins had to know. A. I know. <laughs> I, got I was like, did y'all get, y'all get some random white boy I from the South? To, like... Did we switch it? Like, did we I was like what happened? Yeah. yeah. No, I've, well, got, go ahead. I've got the worst, worst, worst Asian name of all time. I got to like rebrand myself. So people know. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, at the end of the day, there is no pipeline. 
Eldroy. Like there, there really isn't. There's no, and there's so many incredible, you know this, right? You guys do it at, at, um, at the NAACP and other organizations where, you know, there's, there's a pipeline or there's at the very least, like there is a, an energy and an excitement around running for office. And, you know, there's no Emily's list, right? There, there's no, there, there's no organization for Asian Americans. Um, and there should be, by the way. And like, that's what the Victory Fund is doing. But also my friend, Andy Kim, uh, Congressman in New Jersey, he's actually starting a pack that's going to work specifically on this, which is we got to sort of change the culture around, especially for this younger generation, you know, around civics, around public service, around, you know, running for office. It, it's a crazy number. There's only 2% of elected officials nationwide are Asian American, 2%, right? And that's including local, state, federal. We just have to change that culture. And a lot of that comes from my perspective, a lot of that comes in shining a spotlight on our current members of Congress who are Asian American, and on these incredible candidates, because when they're running, you know, I'll give an example, like Kesha Ram, who we just endorsed in Vermont. She's running for Congress. She is the only woman of color in the Vermont State House. She's a young Indian American person. She is dynamic. She is brilliant. She is incredible. No one's ever heard of her. You know, like if you ask, even politicos like me, if you ask like, oh, do you know Kesha? No one knows. And she doesn't have the level of support that, again, a lot of other candidates like her have. And so that's where the Victory Fund comes in. One, we can invest in her winning races. We can actually do fundraisers, shine that spotlight on her, bring her sort of the way that I put it is we can help tell her story in a lot of ways better than she can. Right. I mean, I think she knows how to tell her story, obviously, to folks in Vermont, but you know this better than anyone, a lot of these races are, are won off of money coming in, right? Like random money coming in. So she's running against not just someone who is able to raise money in Vermont, she's running against national PACs. She's running against, you know, environmental organizations that give money to someone or special interests giving money to someone. So again, we just need to build that sense of, there's two things. We have to build that sense of culture of, of running for office and voting, right? Um, and then two, when we do build that culture, we have to win elections. <laughs> like, it's tough. We, you know, there are a lot of Asian Americans running, but there are not that many running statewide, right? Um, and we have to do a better job of when there are candidates running statewide. B. Win um, is running statewide in Georgia for Secretary of State. Um, she's a star, right? And we have to make sure that we're doing everything that we can for our community, but also for the press, you know, nothing against journalists, but you sort of have to like do their or work. Or feed them. them. Yeah. <laughs> you have to Just do their like work here. <laughs> yes. Yes. Here is pre-chewed food for you <laughs> in, in that instance. Be, before I go into a conversation just about how to use media in general, in terms of support in, in doing social impact campaigns, I wanted you to spend a little bit more time in what you just talked about and explain what building a bench 
means and what that looks like, particularly for a community, as you mentioned, where voter engagement has historically been low, investment into the communities for voter engagement obviously has been not only low, but maybe non-existent, and then being able to pull out talent and leadership from that standpoint. So talk a bit about what building the bench means and what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, we had a great meeting recently with the mayor of Cincinnati, Aptai Purval. He's incredible, right? And he's someone who, again, it doesn't happen overnight. You're not the first Asian American mayor in a city like Cincinnati because you just decide to run. That's not the way that, that this that this works, right? I mean, he has been in the trenches in local politics. Um, he was a county clerk. You know, he's been volunteering and organizing for for many many years. Um, and the reality is, the way that he put it was, you know, he wants to work with the Victory Fund to really tell the story of what it actually means to not just run but to win. And then after you win what it means to govern, right? Because again, we there's all this money that's always poured into these elections every two or every four years. But again, people need to understand, yes, I voted for Mayor Aptab Purval. He was dynamic. He said he was going to revitalize Cincinnati. He's going to work on X, Y, or Z. How do you actually build coalitions to get some of these things done, right? So- for us, it's, you know, we can't do everything, obviously, but for me, I think my job and, you know, going back to your, your intro, which was again, the greatest intro of all time. Um, I think that, you know, one of my, you know, quasi superpowers or wannabe superpowers is storytelling. And I think that we have a real lack of storytelling on democracy itself, like why this stuff matters to, to, to everyday people. Because I think a lot of times what they see on cable news is just people yelling at each other and people disagreeing with each other. The reality is, especially living in D.C., I've been in D.C. now for you know over a decade, and it's so easy. I, every politician does it, Eljoy. They're like, oh, Washington, you know, like, <laughs> it's like all these people in Washington are corrupt, you know, and like it's the swamp and everything, whatever. It's like, but you're there. Exactly. Too. That's exactly right. And and that's the thing, right? It it not praise, but I think it just, it further confirms people's worst fears about the way that this quote unquote, this town works. This town is run by people, people, ordinary people, in my opinion, they're still ordinary. They may have been corrupted by money and special interests and all these things, but at the end of the day, they have families, they got elected you know, some of these people like Mitch McConnell, my man got elected like what, 50 years ago. <laughs> He's been in office longer than I've been alive. But when Mitch McConnell ran, it's crazy. Like people don't even know this about Mitch McConnell. He was actually pretty progressive. He was a pretty progressive Republican. First Imagine ran. how the Imagine pendulum that. swings, right? <laughs> like, you know, how things change. And, you know, I did a show some time ago on like, what is progressive to people of color? And particularly what's progressive to black folks, right? Because right. it's interesting to me, this narrative of what like progressivism is today, which was radical for black folks to be just when I was like, you know, I w- want to say like 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Like it was radical to hold those views. And now it is, you know, progressive. It's the, you know, it's the norm. 
at least in the democratic space or whatever, everybody wants to be branded that way. Yep. And it's just like, but wait, like. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. And, and, you know, a lot of our work is going to be trying to make this, you know, I call it uh, entry points, right? I call it like it's barriers to entry, right? And I think that a lot of times, especially for a community that doesn't, that's not as civically active as the Asian American community, we have to find entry points. And entry points, you know, and this goes back again to a lot of the work I did at the White House and a lot of the work that I did at Funny or Die. You know, that work was trying to find entry points on, okay, I'm not paying attention to whatever this politician is saying, but I'm checking for what my favorite comedian, like what joke he's telling, right? Like whether it's Will Ferrell or Zach Galifianakis or Keegan-Michael Key, right? Like I'm down with them because they make me laugh and I trust their voice. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to trust, right? What we are asking for from a community when we're asking for their vote, we're asking for them to trust us, trust that we have their best interests in mind. And for most politicians, and I think it would, I would also, you know, kind of loop in a lot of institutions, the media, right? I think in some cases, academics, I think we've seen with, you know, again, this sort of very, um, I don't know what the right word is, very, very uh, <laughs> embarrassing statistics when it comes to people who just don't believe in vaccinations or just don't believe in the election results. People just have a general distrust. And for us, like a lot of the work that we're going to do, be doing this cycle is building up that trust. So how do you do it? You do it with local leaders, right? You do it with, you know, for, for our community, it's not quote unquote celebrities, because I think that that's not the right term. I call them trusted voices. I think it's, you know, it's, you know, it's journalists, it's novelists, it's, you know, people who have, for our community, they've built up equity, they've built up trust with the community. So when they're saying, look, this incredible candidate is running, I know this person, we need to invest, we need to make sure that this person is representing us. That means something, right? And so again, like building that pipeline, it's a great question. It doesn't happen overnight. Like it's not going to happen overnight, but I do think, you know, Mayor Wu in Boston is another incredible example, right? Just her being elected is a very big deal for our community. She's still being protested every day. There are still people outside of her home protesting her. Um, they're calling her mayor, you know, mayor COVID, you know, literally like all this racist stuff. Cause Boston, we don't want to talk about Boston, but she's dealing it with it head on and she's incredible, right? She has a very high approval rating. She's doing incredible work in Boston, but just her winning and we supported her election, um, inspires, you know, inspires me, but inspires, you know, my daughter, <laughs> not to be cheesy, but seeing people like Mayor Wu literally running a, a major city shows that it can happen, shows that for a younger generation of Asian Americans, that that's something that's possible. And again, we're only at 2% of elected officials nationwide. And uh, for the people like Mayor Wu or Mayor Purval or Andy Kim, we got to keep telling that story to get that number up. Yeah. 
Well, Brad, I, I think we told you the time would fly by. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're already done. So you definitely have to come back when we're thick in the in, in the heat in the summer and, and and talk about more what's going on on the landscape there and give honest. an opportunity to teach and engage folks. But thank you so very much for taking the time to join us here on Sunday Civics. Hopefully it won't be your last. I'm anytime, Eljoy. <laughs> anytime. I'm 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 like again, I I before we started recording, I was telling Eljoy how much I admire this show and we need more, we need more of this. I'm so glad you're doing this. So anytime you want me, I'm ready. Yes. And please forward any other folks shuffling down the bench sure. that we should Absolutely. have on the show as well. Thanks Real so thing. much. Thank you all, Joy. And thanks to all of you for making it to class this Sunday. We'll be back next Sunday with more of Sunday Civics, those civics lessons you need to take civic action. Have a great one. It's cool.